This recording is intended to be used as an educational resource for healthcare providers. It is in no way a substitute for the independent decision making and judgment of a qualified healthcare professional. It should not be used to make a diagnosis or to overrule the advice of a qualified healthcare provider, nor should it be used to provide advice for emergency medical treatment. Common Intubation Scenarios Bronchiolitis by Dr. Thomas Mancuso and Dr. Tracy Woolbrink. Hello, my name is Dr. Thomas Mancuso. I'm one of the intensivists at Children's Hospital Boston. And I'm Tracy Wolbrink, one of the clinical fellows in pediatric critical care at Children's Hospital Boston. Today we're going to be talking to you about different scenarios for intubating typical patients you might see in the pediatric intensive care unit. Case description. So Tom, this is a nine-month-old patient that just was recently admitted to the ICU about two hours ago with RSV bronchiolitis. It's an ex-30-week preemie who's been at home doing well, who comes in with now five days of upper respiratory secretions, um, also some fevers at home, and some increased work of breathing today. I just examined the patient, and on examination, the baby is tired appearing, has some increased nasal secretions, on uh, chest auscultation has some um, coarse breath sounds bilaterally with some end expiratory wheezes. The baby is tachycardic, as you can see, with a heart rate of the 180s, um, is a bit hypoxic with saturations, oxygen saturations in the mid-80s, and um, does have some dyssynchronous breathing as the uh, abdomen and chest wall are not in synchrony with each other. On um, examination of the capillary refill, shows a capillary refill of about three seconds, so the perfusion isn't as great. We did just recently do some lab studies, and the electrolytes were within normal limits. The CBC was unremarkable, but the blood gas shows a respiratory acidosis with a pH of 7.21, a PCO2 of 62, and a PaO2 of 65. This was a capillary blood gas, but the patient, as you can uh, tell, is also hypoxemic. So you think it, are the chest x-ray findings consistent with this diagnosis? The chest x-ray findings are consistent with RSV. There is some increased um, pulmonary markings, parabronchial cuffing, as well as some uh, hyperexpansion on the chest x-ray. There's no focal infiltrate that I can see. I see the child's on a high-flow face mask already. What else do you think we can do? Well, I think this child is showing us signs already that uh, she's hypoxemic and having um, poor gas exchange, as evidenced by our metabolic acidosis. We trialed non-invasive ventilation, but his status continued to worsen. So I really think our next step is mechanical ventilation and endotracheal intubation. I agree. I think it's very important to secure the airway and provide distending airway pressure and ventilatory support. Are there other considerations before we intubate? Well, one consideration, this baby did have some clear liquids downstairs in the emergency department about four hours ago. So we should consider this child to be a full stomach, even though it was only clear liquids, because with illness like this, gastric emptying will not be normal, and I think we should proceed under the assumption there's a full stomach and do our best to avoid aspiration. Mm -hmm. This baby also has a lot of secretions and may be at risk for some bronchospasm because of the secretions. Baby already has wheezing and may have some chronic lung disease given this baby was a premature, um, prematurely born infant. I think then we should be sure the child's well anesthetized prior to the laryngoscopy intubation. I'll prepare the medication if you get the equipment. Sounds good. Thank you. Equipment. 
So Tom, I've gathered all the equipment that I feel will be necessary to intubate this child. I've grabbed a Miller One blade. Um, I chose a Miller just because of the size of the epiglottis in the infant. I think it's easier to control with a Miller blade. I find for some trainees, the broader curved blade, although not generally used for the infant, is helpful because it's broader and the tongue's easier to control. Mm -hmm. But your choice is perfectly sensible here. Okay. And I've also grabbed uh, a 3.5 cuffed endotracheal tube. I've inserted a stylet and I've checked my cuff. The reason I chose a cuff tube is because I'm worried that this child may need some increased pressures on the ventilator and that with an uncuffed tube we may have such a large leak that we will be unable to maintain the high pressures necessary to ventilate this child. Another advantage of the cuff, of course, is we'll intubate once. Mm -hmm. If it turned out that the three and a half uncuffed was too, too large, left too large of a leak anyway, then we'd have to reintubate. We don't want to do that. Um, and I also have an oral airway just in case we get into any difficulties, as well as a mask. Uh, which seems to be the appropriate size for the patient. It covers the nose and the mouth. And then a um, bag apparatus. This is an anesthesia type bag, which we'll use. And then I have my um, face protection, my mask, and my eye protection for the intubation. We have an oxygen source. We have a suction source, which um, I will grab. Right here. That's Great. Perfect. And I have a capnograph and a syringe to inflate the balloon cuff. And we have a stethoscope available to check for breath sounds after intubation. We'll all connect the, the oxygen to this bag you've chosen. Great. And we can begin uh, pre-oxygenation. Okay. I'll remove this face mask here. Yeah, it's very important to pre-oxygenate this patient to denitrogenate the, the lungs so that we have a little bit more reserve when we go to intubate the child. We'd like the FRC filled with an FO2 of 1 so that you have the longest possible time for the child to tolerate the apneic period during induction. I can hold the face mask for you while you put on your mask and eye protection if you'd like. Great. Medications. Now, what medications shall we use to intubate this patient? Well, I think for laryngoscopy, the child should be unconscious for his comfort and also to be sure that he has minimal response to the foreign body we're going to place in his trachea. Mm -hmm. So we should, I've chosen hypnotic propofol, mm -hmm. and given his poor perfusion, we may dose lower than average, <clears throat> being prepared to give additional doses based on the vital signs. In addition, I have atropine and other resuscitation medication in the event that there is cardiovascular compromise around our laryngoscopy. And I, as we talked about, this is an emergency intubation in a person with full stomach considerations, mm -hmm. therefore I think succinylcholine, which has the most rapid onset, is the relaxant to use. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. And remember, if you're going to use succinylcholine, there are several situations in which its use is contraindicated. These include known hyperkalemia or diseases that can cause hyperkalemia, such as crush injuries with extensive muscle damage, severe burns, and spinal cord injuries, progressive neuromuscular disease and myopathies, but not necessarily static neuromuscular disease. And finally, a known susceptibility to malignant hyperthermia is a definite contraindication to succinylcholine, as it is a known trigger for that disease. This often will take more than a minute or so of tidal breathing. He is not able to cooperate with us and take several deep breaths like an adult would. So I'm glad you have a good mask fit, and I think it's prudent to sit here for a bit of time until we're sure that we have as much in the FRC 
of an FI2 of 1 as we can manage. I see the monitors, which I can see from behind me. The SAT's going up nicely to the mid-90s, reflecting, in my opinion, the FI2 of 1 being delivered much more completely than with the face mask. Uh -huh. So the IV is running. I see that's working well. I do not think atropine premedication is needed given the tachycardia, but I have it should we need to. Perfect. And I think we have our child already connected to our monitors. Induction and intubation. So I'm going to proceed with the hypnotic followed by flush and then the muscle relaxant. Are you ready for to take over breathing should it be necessary and do laryngoscopy? I'm ready. Maybe seven kilos. The normal dose for propofol could be between 14 and 21 milligrams. I'm going to give 10 initially, okay. followed by the relaxant. And if I notice during your laryngoscopy hypertension or tachycardia that's worsened, I'll give an additional dose. But I don't want to cause cardiovascular compromise with our induction dose. Once he's unconscious and relaxed, I will apply cardiac pressure for you. I'm giving the propofol, as I mentioned, 10 milligrams followed by a flush to be sure that there's no incompatibility of the medications. Okay. Succinylcholine dose is two milligrams per kilogram. In this case, that would be 15. I've just given that. We look at the clock and we'll wait 20 seconds. An infant at this age will not fasciculate. I see you have normal saturation and I feel the chest moving beneath my hand here while I apply cricoid pressure. Okay. I think the appropriate time has passed once you do laryngoscopy, and I'll give you suction should you need it, and listen for the breath sounds after intubation. Would you also mind handing me the endotracheal tube? Tube. Tell me when I should remove the stylet. Um, you can remove the stylet. Thank you. Now I'll just connect the bag and our end tidal CO2 monitor to the endotracheal tube. And remember to inflate the cuff on your endotracheal tube with air after intubation. I see good chest rise. Great. And we do have an end tidal waveform on our monitor. Our end tidal CO2 is currently 64, which is what we expected based on the previous blood gas. The breath sounds are coarse as you described, but they're equal on the right and left, and I do not hear wheezing currently. I see the heart rate is about the same. I will give just another five milligrams of propofol to be sure the child is not responding to our laryngoscopy. Now we'll secure the endotracheal tube before proceeding. Next consideration will be longer-term sedation to allow the child to tolerate the intubation because the succinylcholine's duration of action will be just a few more moments. Very good. So I think we've successfully intubated this child. Now select some ventilatory parameters and check blood gases. Perfect. Thank you. This recording is a production of Open Pediatrics, a free and open access resource for pediatric clinicians worldwide. For more pediatric care materials or to join our global community, please visit our website at openpediatrics.org.